On today's episode of the Bonafide Scrubs podcast, we discuss ML- the MLB screw-up so far. We get into a heated debate about who won the Jamal Adams trade, and we talk about Thibodeau, the new Knicks coach, and if he's finally, if he's going to fix our New York Knicks. Action-packed episode coming at you. This man was a bona fide scrub. Back to the Bonafide Scrubs Podcast. I'm Will Swanky along with Noah Levine. And it feels good to be able to intro this show while we have active sports going on and sports leagues that we're actually interested in. And that I am, of course, talking about the MLB season, which kicked off at the end of last week and especially over the weekend. And Noah, we finally got some meaningful games to, t- to, to watch, to talk about. Both the Mets and the Yankees played well and also had their struggles over the first couple of games of the season. So what has your uh, reaction been to the beginning of the baseball season so far with games that actually mean something? It's been a lot of fun watching. I mean, I'm not a Yankees fan, but I ended up watching all their games. And same with the Mets. Obviously, I'm a Mets fan. It was great to see games that matter. Me and my dad, we turned on MLB tonight. Uh, It's basically like NBA TV, but for the MLB you get live look-ins at every game analysis. You get to they show you a bunch of games. So it was great just seeing any team play also on that. There was a lot of runs scored the, over the past weekend. A lot of teams are scoring. It's hot out. The ball might be juiced. <laughs> and it, it was it was a fun experience. I mean, the Yankees, they won the first game. It got rained out. That was kind of annoying. Um, I do have Garrett Cole in fantasy, so I was happy for that complete game and the win. They just ended the game like they should have. But yeah, the Yankees, I mean, it doesn't look like they've scored that many runs yet, but it's still early, and we'll see what, what's going to happen with them. Yeah, good first game for Garrett Cole and a hot start for Giancarlo Stan. That certainly makes me happy as a Yankees fan. Uh, we, all, we all know about his struggles in a Yankee uniform over the past couple of years, so to see him you know, look in shape and look you know, ready to go at the beginning of the season is, is nice to see. In terms of the Mets, yeah, I, I watched the first Mets game with DeGrom pitching. I have him in fantasy so we have both our favorite teams aces on our different teams so that was fun to watch yeah baseball you know when you get nothing for you know however many months we've gone with no live sports that we actually are interested in to get baseball back it's been really interesting to watch multiple teams multiple different games over the past couple of days but that might not be lasting too much longer as of course yesterday the report came that the miami marlins had 14 players test positive for COVID-19 and it basically put their season on hold, put the Phillies and the Yankees seasons on hold as they last played the Phillies and the Yankees were going to play the Phillies yesterday and today. So now we have some things to worry about and baseball's reaction to this does not seem to be super prepared. I don't know what they were thinking being able to have this season with no bubble and no precautions, and basically they just have to suspend an entire team now due to them testing positive for COVID-19. I don't really get it. I don't know why they don't have things in place where they can fix this problem. The players are just so stubborn. Manfred wanted a bubble apparently months ago, but they they couldn't get it set up, and it'd be harder in Arizona and Florida because of the spike cases, but the NBA did that. It's also much hotter in Arizona than Florida. Sometimes it could be like 110 degrees, and I don't know if you could play baseball in those conditions. That's way too hot. 
I mean, yeah, we're seeing the Marlins. Their whole team is, like, almost testing positive. That's really, really bad. Like, I don't even think the Rays and Marlins should be even playing games in Florida at home if there's no bubble. I feel like the Marlins should share a stadium, like, with the Braves. They should go to Atlanta or Tampa Bay. They should go down to Washington. Or they could share with maybe with the Yankees or some team close. It doesn't really make yeah. much sense to me what, what's going on there. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, doing it now while the schedules are, are, are going to overlap each other, definitely something that's going to be a lot harder to institute right now than it would have been uh, you know, many months ago. But again, this all goes back to the negotiations between the players and the owners. If they could just put the money aside for one second, you know, four months ago, and, and really work on trying to get the season underway and have it go off without a hitch, we wouldn't have these problems. You could have the overlapping stadiums and to have different teams play in different cities that are having trouble containing the virus. I, I saw a recent report that Governor Cuomo of New York offered to have the MLB have a bubble in New York because they're managing the cases now much better than most of the other places around the country. And yeah, that's a great idea. But to institute a bubble for an entire league in the middle of the season right now, you know, I think that would pretty much be an impossible task. And, and they really just missed the ball with being able to do that. They should have just done that months ago instead of waiting for something to happen and then do it. That's what you want to avoid. And that's what the NBA and NHL have done so well up to this point. Well, yeah, we've been saying it for months. We were asking each other a month ago, like, what the hell is the MLB going to do with if there's cases going up and they're traveling everywhere? They're literally traveling everywhere. And I've been hearing that players have been going into bars and, and not – like following which of protocols. I mean, we saw with the Mets and Yankees and other teams, they're high-fiving each other after home runs. They don't have masks on the dugout. Like, like you have to follow the protocols or you're going to get the virus. Like, I, I props on the managers and, and the bench coaches that they're wearing masks, that that is required. But a lot of these players, they don't care. And obviously, you can't implement a bubble in New York right now. But maybe you could say the Marlins, okay, you guys can play at City Field and the Rays or something, you guys can play, or Phillies or whatever team that has a lot of cases, you guys can share Yankee Stadium. I mean, the, the Yankees are going to play the Phillies and Marlins a bunch of times anyway. Like, why not have some of the East teams all in, in a few stadiums so there's, not, so there's no traveling? You don't have to implement a bubble for the whole league, but if teams start to get weary and, and nervous and more cases start going up, like in California, for example, you could have the Angels and Dodgers play in the same stadium and the Giants and A's or something. So you, you could do it that way if you, don't, if you want to limit traveling. That's what they should do. Yeah, that's definitely true. And you bring up uh, the thing about the protocols, and you're right. I mean, the players have not been following. High fives, every home run, there's a high five. Every time somebody enters the dugout, you know, they're hugging, no masks on. It definitely is not a surprise that, that certain players are coming down with the virus and they're just, they're not really respecting it. I think as much as they should be. I mean, these, these rules are in place for a reason. And if you want the season to continue, you pretty much have no choice, but to follow it. And it doesn't really surprise me that, that the Marlins are a team that, that is a team that has a lot of cases because <laughs> they're kind of out of it anyway. Right. They don't really care. They don't see the, they, they actually, the long vision that, that they a actually contending are two team and one. does. They actually are two and one. They're actually, um, I think they're tied for first in the NL East right now. <laughs> But that's yeah, well, pretty, the uh, Orioles are two and one. But it's early for these bad teams. But uh, I mean, look, you look at a contending team like the Yankees probably are messing around. They're probably not going anywhere after their games. They're probably all staying in their hotels, staying. I don't in their think homes. they are. Yeah, they have they have an idea about 
you know, what the goals they want to accomplish. And the Marlins, you know, they're a young team with a lot of young guys who want to go out and do all crazy things. And they don't really have a vision or a goal to accomplish at the end of the season. So it does not surprise me that they are one of the first teams to have this problem. Oh, no, of course not, because they're in Florida. In Florida, the cases go up every single day there as the rest of the country. But it's just going to be interesting how the MLB handles this because they've really handled everything poorly up until this point, basically. They didn't have a bubble. It took them so long to get a season started. We were complaining for a couple months that there was – there may not be a season. It's here, and they're not putting the health of the players first. Like David Price, he opted out. He tweeted that he wasn't safe. He didn't feel safe. Uh, the MLB wasn't putting the players' health first, and and it's it's showing true because we're seeing a lot of Marlins players test positive, and we saw Soto test positive opening day. But thank God he was the only Nationals player that did that, or we wouldn't have that game would have been canceled on opening night. <laughs> Yeah, the thing with that is, you know, the tests are delayed. They take about a day or, or multiple days to come in. So Soto, he was he te- he got a test, did not get the results back, was around his teammates and probably around the Yankees or around different people in the stadium and got the test back right before the game and couldn't play. It was announced that day that he wasn't going to play. So he was definitely around his teammates and definitely around other people in baseball up until that point. And that's really bad. I mean, the delay in the testing really pretty much makes the testing obsolete because if you're going to test positive eventually but still be around your teammates and around other people in your organization, it basically is useless because you're still going to end up spreading it. And I guess we got lucky and dodged a bullet that on opening day, the Yankees and the Nationals game was not canceled and that nobody else tested positive. But, you know, that could, it's going to happen eventually probably where an entire team is going to come down with it and not even know because the testing is so delayed. It can't be delayed. They're literally on top of each other every game. Like the Phillies and Marlins, they shouldn't have even, they should have known they had positive cases. They shouldn't have even played those games. Now the friggin' Phillies and Marlins have a lot of cases. They should have, they really should have fixed that. But this is bad news for the NFL. I mean, they're doing a lot of testing, but NFL, you're literally touching someone every game. Like, they're going to have to think of a bubble maybe or something. They cannot travel. NFL players are definitely crazier than baseball players. Like, you know they're going to be in the club in L.A. or something after games. Like, it's, it's one game a week. It's not like you're traveling all the time. It, it, I, I worry for the NFL. It might, it might be impossible to play sports without a bubble. It might be impossible to play sports without a bubble now. There's so many cases in every where. Like, how are you going to play 11 v 11 and have all the coaches on the sideline? Like, the players going to be high-fiving and fist-bumping and stuff. There's going to be cases. A whole team could lose it. Yeah, and NFL rosters are a lot larger than most of the other sports. We've already started to see NFL players dropping out. I think Dante Hightower dropped out today. Uh, my Vikings had Michael Pierce, their new D-tackle, drop out. So, yeah, we're certainly a long way away from football, and we're going to start to see a lot of players opting out of the most recent season unless they institute some way to protect them. We saw that a lot of NFL stars went out on social media asking for the NFL to to make a plan and to have a plan and to protect them and protect their health, and that just hasn't been happening. There's a reason why, you know, 15 of the NFL's most prominent stars are calling them out, you know, publicly to do this. They're, They're just not you know, putting a lot of cases or putting a lot of plants in place. And we do have a lot of time, but, you know, they're going to have to figure out something sooner than later if they really want to have an effective season. 
the, the one good thing about the NFL is it's only 16 games. You just have to get through. I mean, every team has eight home games, and that could be less, obviously, if, if they don't get a full 16-game season in there. But, eight, I mean, NFL teams believe their players are going to be extremely safe in the practice facility and by them, and they're going to be at home following protocol. So if you think about, like, for your Vikings, for an example, I mean, eight games are at the Dome, so – a lot of those players are going to be at home for, for those eight games, and they're not going to be traveling as much. It's not like baseball are constantly on the move and stuff. And they're obviously practicing every day almost too. So maybe the NFL could do it right, only traveling eight games. I mean, that's good, good news for them. But the problem was the on-field action. If someone tests positive, you don't know about it, it could get like 30 people infected on the sideline or something. Yeah, I, I think the bubble method is definitely the way to go. We've seen the NHL and NBA both have early success with it. You know, we've gained, we've been getting these reports that the NHL has like 4,000 tests over the past couple of weeks and they have zero cases. So, you know, that, that method is definitely effective. And I think the MLB should have instituted it and the, NH, the, the NFL still has a shot at, at getting one done. So I think they really should consider it heavily and it won't really impact their season if they go into a bubble because, you know, there's no room for error. The players, they won't be leaving. They won't be traveling all over the country. It'll just be a lot safer. And if you think about it, we've come a long way since March. Rudy Gobert was one player in all of sports. He tested positive and it shut down everything for months. It shut down basically all of the United States. I mean, you think about before Gobert's positive test and the NBA's cancellation, everything was pretty much <laughs> operating as, as used to. Yeah. And then March after Madness that was I, about to happen. Yep. And now, and now, you know, four months later, five months later, we have 14 people on one team all testing positive and the MLB has no plans to cancel its season just yet. So, I mean, that team might even still be participating. So, you know, just think about how, how, how far we've come since the beginning of March. I don't think anyone will cry or complain if the Marlins get kicked out for the year. I mean, they're the one of the worst teams and, and they're still 29 teams. You might as well just, you might as well just fill those games with other teams. But also the NFL, I remember when we were looking at some of the schedules, like when we did our Jets schedule episode, they have they were, are staying out west a lot of games, and same with like vice versa, west teams going east. They do have back-to-back weeks on the east or west coast a lot of times, which can help because they're not traveling as much, and they're going to be staying in their facilities and staying in the hotel and not, not contracting the virus. So that actually was pretty helpful by the NFL with their scheduling. I give props to Roger Goodell for that because I think he I think he had a vision of he probably saw this have coming with the MLB and it was probably going to happen worse to his league so he did some good job with the scheduling he did a great job with the scheduling and we'll see how that goes if we get a full sixteen games. The thing about the NFL and the MLB that make them different from sports like basketball and hockey is that they're outside so you don't need a massive facility to you know to conduct these sports like you might need for the NBA. I know that you know, you're going to need some place to house these players if you do choose to go with the bubble route, but you know, it, it does leave you with some more options if you're going to just find you know, a huge you know, outdoor area where you can construct fields and to you know, have these games take place. I, I don't think it would be as difficult necessarily to do it with uh, you know, an NFL-style bubble than it would be where you need an already built you know, facility like Disney World where... You know, you already have these courts and things in place. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see 
what the NFL does and if we can even finish the freaking baseball season. I really want to finish baseball. The Mets, they've looked pretty good. I mean, they got shattered on Sunday night, 14-1 by the Braves. We saw them win opening day. They should have beat the Braves the next day, but the bullpen, Diaz didn't pitch well, and they lost. So they're 2-2 two and two as of recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Beat up the Red Sox. Alonzo hit a home run, first home run. Uh, I, I'm excited. I think the Mets can do something great this year and just got to have the full season. They play the Red Sox again tonight. We'll just have to see what, what happens. Yeah, we've gotten a taste of what live sports are like again, and it might not be for that long. I posed this question in an older episode saying, you know, is it even possible to finish a season under these conditions? And, you know, it looks like with one team getting this many cases this early, they at least get to deal with this problem right now than than if it was, you know, a good team in the playoffs at the end of the season, whatever the case may be. It's a really bad team, three games in. They can deal with this hurdle right now and see... If they can patch up any of these holes, because if they can't, and this keeps happening, there's pretty much no way we're going to be able to have this baseball season survive. I don't, I don't know how you're going to be able to keep teams traveling and keep them playing against each other. If you know one team gets it, it affects like five teams because you're in the visitors' locker room and you're traveling and and everything, and your city is not a safe city. So it basically is it's a ripple effect based on one team it will have on every other team it's pretty sad that the MLB I mean we saw this coming eventually but we didn't think it'd be like day four of the season I mean right so they obviously messed up there the Marlins and Phillies hopefully that doesn't happen again we actually do get to finish the full season so that'd be pretty disappointing if we didn't but I mean good news the NBA is coming back what this Thursday the first games Thursday or Friday and hockey playoffs start Saturday in the bubble no positive cases for each sport they don't have to worry about anything Lou Will left the bubble because he wanted to go to what a strip club and get wings I mean I don't know why the hell you would leave the bubble and, and potentially pick up the case he wants food that bad I mean that just that, that, that kind of worries me if play, some other players do that I mean, I guess it's better they did it now than during the last eight games in the playoffs, but that might set the tone for other players to think, oh, I could just do that too, but you really can't because you're hurting the league and the bubble and all the people around you if you contract the case. Yeah, that is obviously pretty dumb. And, you know, before you brought up the fact that we didn't expect to see this this early, you know, a game three or four, and I don't know why we didn't, to be honest. I don't know why the MLB didn't either. <laughs> Because there's, well, there's no reason, there's no difference between now and, you know, two weeks from now. There's no difference between... Well, players aren't following the protocols. I, I, would, I would hope the protocols would be better. And I would hope that high-fiving one happened game four, maybe game 50 before the playoffs. But like... Yeah, I don't know. That's people aren't wearing masks. I mean, I thought the MLB would be smarter and the players are not smarter. I mean, it's the players' fault that... They didn't want to agree to anything with the owners. It's basically both their faults that we had a, such a late start to a season, but we're getting a season. So I hope it finishes. And yeah, NBA, NHL, good for them. We're going to see a full season, it looks like, with them and the whole playoffs. On Saturday, as a Seahawks fan, we got great news. We trade for the best safety in the league. And everybody on Twitter is like, oh, the Jets robbed them. Oh, they robbed them. But does everyone remember, this is the New York Jets, folks. This team stinks, and they just gave away. They let their, play, their best player leave 
the organization. They let him get his way. And they're going to have two late first-round picks, unless Russell Wilson gets hurt. I hope he doesn't. But they're going to have two late first-round picks. And, and the Jets have proven year in and year out they cannot draft anyone. This is the fifth straight year that their rookie, whoever they drafted, did not make it past their rookie deal. So does this really help the Jets? I mean, it, it might on paper right now. But, I mean, the Seahawks were a contending team. Russell Wilson has like five or six years left. We got to go all in every year now. And Jamal Adams is going to help the defense a lot because he can play multiple positions. So I'm happy with this deal. Maybe a little too much. McDougal, I like him. He's a good safety. Uh, he might be the Jets' best safety now because this team doesn't really have that many good players. <laughs> Marcus mm-hmm. May's decent, but the Jets, I mean, good for them. You can't pass that up if you're a Jets fan or a Jets if you're Joe Douglas, but I believe this is a good trade for both sides. I'm happy with it. All right, you're wrong, and here's why. How am I wrong? The Jets, the Jets are a mediocre team. We we know we we've bottom three experienced it well, for maybe many not seasons anymore, but they're definitely close to the bottom. But they got exactly what they asked for from any team. They were scouring I the know. market, and they got they got okay. So they got two first round picks, a third round pick, and obviously McDougal. That is more than what they were expecting to get. I think. For a player like Adams and the Seahawks, you know, they do improve with the addition of Jamal. They don't improve enough. I don't think you look at the Seahawks and say, with the addition of Jamal Adams, they are now a Super Bowl lock or whatever. The oh, step oh up no, was I'm not saying that either. Before. I'm not saying right. they're a Super Bowl lock. Exactly. So, what? They were, Nobody's they were already. A... They were already a fringe contender before this trade, right? I think most people would agree with that. And now they yeah. get him. And I think they're in the exact same place that they were before. But now they have less of a future. Obviously, two first-round picks for the next two drafts. That's huge. A third-round pick. The Seahawks have been one of the better teams at drafting in the later rounds over the past few years. Third round is pretty yeah, so we don't. so we don't need first-round picks. We need second and fourths and thirds. We did give up a third. But I think this team, I think this makes the defense a lot better. I mean... No, no. We, it, we it, have- it does not move the needle enough for a team like the Seahawks. And now you have a, a dramatic player like Adams who, who needs to get exactly what he wants or else he's going to well, treat your team. Well, just he's like going to he be happy. The Jets. He I mean, was there's no sick. reason why he would, there's no reason why he would treat the Seahawks any different than the Jets. They, they've had the same. Cause we're a good franchise. team. He wanted out the because they weren't going to pay better. him and they're not good. There's no reason why. And you got to give him exactly what he, he wanted wants. out. Million. We will, we will, he will get what he wants. Million. Are you, do you want to give him 20 million? I don't, I would not. I would not give up three picks. I won't either, but I'm not. I won't either, but I'm not the Seahawks GM, and you, everyone. He's 24 years old. It's not like this guy's past his prime. Um, he might be. He could be a Hall of Famer at the end of his career. And we have the best safety, the best middle linebacker in the league. We we had to pay up for a, a, pre, a pretty good position player. He could play in the box. He he definitely helps us in the uh, uh, pass defending in the secondary. Obviously, in the NFL, no player moves the needle enough unless it's like a quarterback. But I, I think we did. I think this is definitely an upgrade. I mean, we we have been not been good drafting in the first round. Here, I read a stat from Warren Sharp on Twitter. He said from 2013 to 2017, Seattle won a Super Bowl and had the second best record in the NFL, and they won. And they had one first round pick during that five year run, and they won 54 games. Russell Wilson's great. Do you, you don't need necessarily first-round picks 
Um, you do need them to win this league a lot of times, but when you have someone as great as Russell Wilson and the 49ers may be Super Bowl hungover, I mean, I think they could potentially compete with the 49ers and go to Super Bowl this year or in New Orleans with this addition. I, I like know. that I'm this roster is still you, pretty good. I'm not going to allow you to sit here and tell me that your team doesn't need first-round picks because for some reason you've just been bad at drafting in the first round. Like That's not how it works. You have these I know. assets to yeah, but, do okay, something think about it. Them. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Well, we can't grade the Jets until after the first-round picks are made. If the Jets don't get anyone good, they're going to be looking like, shit, we trade Jamal Adams for two No, like, see, I don't think backups. they're going to look at it like that at all. They're not going to look at it like that at all. Because they got exactly what they wanted for a player yeah, they that did. already I'm saying, hated them. I'm saying for, two who years. Who already hated them, who wasn't going to play at all yes, anyway. Yes, but, but, but they wanted those picks to fill out other positions on their team. And if they can't do that with those picks, the trade is a failure. We, we got the better player in the deal. I don't, I don't Will think any of those first-round no picks what. become Jamal Adams? Will any of those players become Jamal Adams? it's a failure no matter what because answer they the got question. rid of... They got rid of a player that already wasn't going to play for them, that already hated them, that already caused so many problems for them in the first place. And now they got all these assets that they have the ability to do something with. Whether they do anything with them or not, it really doesn't matter. It would be a great benefit it does to matter. them to have good players out of these draft picks. But if they get nothing or if they get you know, a role player, a mediocre player... No, everyone's going to look at back why they trade Javon. They, they should have given what he won. They should have traded. They should have given what he wanted. Position. So you don't think tears down the line, Joe Douglas, if he messes up these picks, he swings and misses, he's going to say, shoot, I should have given Jamal what I wanted. He could have really helped their team. We're trying to win now. And he, he messed up two picks. So would you rather have a future Hall of Fame safety or, or two unknowns? I mean, I don't know. I'm taking the future Hall of Fame safety, Will. This, this guy is a football player. Yeah, in, in a vacuum, I'm taking it too. But this is... Jamal Adams' relationship with the Jets. He hates the Jets. He, yes, he's we know. He's trying to leave the Jets why for years. That's why he's going to be happy he does not on a contender. Care about them. He does yes, not care that's about good. them at all. It's good for the Jets. It's a win for both teams, and the Seahawks are a contender, and we're going to see what happens this year. If the Seahawks win a Super Bowl with Jamal Adams in the next couple of years, it doesn't matter. We won the trade. We won a Super Bowl, and he's happy on the team. They're trying to do what, whatever they can to win the Seahawks. And, and they still have $11 million in cap space. Um, maybe Davion Clowney could come back on a one-year deal or something. Maybe they could find someone because they do need some pass rushers. You know, maybe this, this deal could really help Jamal recruit someone to the team in free agency. Yeah, okay. Well, if they win the Super Bowl, you know, that's best-case scenario. They get a Super Bowl. There you go. That's worth it. But if they don't... And they are they're just, you know, middle of the road or, or first round exits or whatever the case may be. They just gave a safety twenty million. They have no draft picks for the next couple of years. They they lost, you know, McDougald, who is just a decent role player. He could have probably filled the role, role player. Jamal to an extent. You know, it wouldn't have okay, been as well, much, but it may, could have been I good mean, enough. Uh, so if they don't win, solid. If they don't win anything, they just they mortgage their future. To try and win right now, and they, I they, mean, it's only, they didn't win right okay. now, so it's useless. It is two. It is two years of first round picks. You do have Russell Wilson for whatever the next many years. He's going to retire as a Seahawk, hopefully. I mean, they're, they're trying to. They're really trying to win now, and I mean, it, it could be funny. Like if the Seahawks still win with Jamal Adams and the Jets screw up the picks, then I guess nobody wins. So we'll just have no, to wait and the Jets see. Win. Then the Jets have won. If, if it's bottom line, the Jets win. The floor for the Jets is a lot higher than the floor for the Seahawks. 
No, because the floor for the Seahawks is like an NFC Championship or Super Bowl appearance. No, then then you're making them a Super Bowl lock if you just say that. If no, no, okay. Well, maybe not. NFC Championship uh, okay. win, they're a Super Bowl lock. No, I, I didn't you. say win. I said appearance. Okay, nobody's a lock to win a Super Bowl in the NFL. We know that. There's nobody who's ever a lock. Maybe the Patriots one year maybe or something, but... This help. This helps them. They're gonna win. Their floor is like eleven or twelve wins this year. I mean, you, they probably could have did that without Jamal, but he might help them get an extra win. Pete Carroll's done so well with safeties. He brings versatility to the defense. He's basically a more athletic Cam Chancellor. That's what he is. Who was my favorite player on the Seahawks for some time when he played. So we'll just have to wait and see. Jamal's gonna be happy. He's gonna get a deal, and he's gonna work well with Bobby Wagner. And we'll see what the Seahawks do. I'm hoping they can get back to a Super Bowl soon. This is what they want, and good for the Jets. They got what they wanted. It's gonna be a, it's a great trade on paper, but I think it benefits both teams greatly. I don't know. I mean, only only time is gonna tell. Uh, trades to similar a similar haul for a different trade was the Khalil Mack trade with the Raiders and the Bears. The Bears and the Bears aren't trade, good. The trade for Mack. Mack is a much more important position than than Jamal is. Yeah, I would, got I would similar say so. money. And they get and the Raiders uh, acquired similar things to what the Jets did, and that hasn't really worked out for, for either, either of team. the teams. I think if, I think it probably works out for the Raiders more because you know they have. I guess so. They did make they the have playoffs all these young players the to work with now. Yeah, but if you think the Bears, I mean, they did make the playoffs the first year with with Mac on the team. They went twelve and four, but. They still have the quarterback problems. You see, you don't trade your future way when you've missed Trubisky as your quarterback, everybody. Nick Foles, I mean, if he's good, then the Bears can do something. I mean, I suppose it's a win trade, but we have Russell Wilson, and we're going to give him as much help as he needs on both sides of the ball to try to win a Super Bowl. We don't have Mitch Trubisky. Our floor is, like, way higher than the Bears, and our ceiling's way higher than the Bears. So, I mean, the Raiders, I mean, Josh Jacobs, he's a good player, and he was one of the players they got in the deal, I believe. He ended up – their pick ended up being Josh Jacobs. But, you know, we really can't evaluate this trade until the two years of drafting for the Jets are done. That's how you evaluate it. What, what the Seahawks did in two years and what the Jets did in the two years. So, we'll have to see who wins the trade or they both don't win, just like the Raiders and Bears situation. So, it's a, it's a blockbuster trade. I'm happy. I'm, I'm honestly – I'd, I don't care about the two first-round picks, but I would have liked to keep McDougal. He's a pretty solid player, and they had to give up a, a, a starter, uh, and he's going to start for the Jets and be pretty decent. So if we could have had Diggs, Jamal Ams, and McDougal, but it could have been nice. But then again, Jamal's just going to replace McDougal. So I guess it makes sense why they did that. But, I mean, good for the Jets. Go Seahawks this year. We're going to be contending for a Super Bowl, and I, I hope we, we can get that done soon. Yeah, well, you as a Seahawks fan are going with them winning the trade. Me, m- much more objective than you, going with the Jets. Oh, well, their... obviously. <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty biased towards the Seahawks, but I'm happy we got them. But if you think about, well, if the Jets were really going to trade Jamal Adams, like what team did you think he was going to trade to? I feel like always the Seahawks felt the most realistic because the other teams, like he was never going to go to Dallas because they don't have the money. They're, they're pay- they don't even have pay- they haven't even paid their quarterback yet. The Seahawks seemed like the best position. They had assets, and they, they definitely didn't want the 49ers to go and get him, so they, they made the move first. I feel like the Seahawks was always a good destination for him. Yeah, I think he probably – I saw a report that he tried to orchestrate a trade to Dallas at the deadline 
of last year. So, you know, we could have had a deal That's much sooner than this one. But yeah, I mean, the Seahawks, look, they, they, they had the assets to give up and they did it. And, and they're definitely trying to win now. I just don't think this move moves the needle enough for them. I think they were already considered a top team before this. And now, you know, they're just the same team they were with an extra player who, you know, he may or may not, you know, make us. Well, I mean, it's an extra player, but it's a very good player in the secondary in a passing league. And he's a good player. He's definitely going to help the Seahawks now have a great, pretty, pretty damn good secondary with Shaq Griffin, Trey Flowers, um, Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams and Quinn Dunbar is allowed to play this year. They're going to have a very nice team. Pete Carroll's always done well with defensive backs. I mean, I'm excited. I, I just hope this team, someone steps, someone needs to step up because this team doesn't have much of a pass rush. I mean, I thought they were going to have Clowney to get Clowney back this whole time, and I, he's still a free agent. Like, what are they going to do? They could re-sign him to like a one- or two-year deal, but, I mean, other teams are inquiring about him. Yeah, see, that's a move that I would have much rather have seen them make than uh, than giving up things for Adams. They could just use that money to bring back Clowney, who fulfills a much more needed role. To me, that would have been smarter. That if I was a Seahawks fan, that's what I would have preferred a lot more. Yeah, I don't know. I I I thought the Jets should have traded Jamal Adams, <laughs> and they traded him to my team. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, if if we get a full NFL season, I I hope the Seahawks can. So I hope Jamal's happy, he gets his contract, and we, and we go out and contend for a Super Bowl because that, that's all in. And the Jets, I mean, this is definitely going to make their defense worse. You were saying in the last Jets episode, and they lost Jamal. McDougal's a decent player. You thought the Jets were going 8-8. Eight and eight. I said 6-10. and 10. I mean, they could lose a win now. I mean, he, he's a pretty impactful player for that defense. So the Jets, um, they're taking a step back. But then again, they are planning for the future. They get their two first-round picks. Good for them. We'll see what happens with those picks and with Jamal this year. All right, well, moving on to our third piece of significant news over the weekend. You know, we, we're getting a lot of things back at once now. And, and, you know, the Jamal Adams trade was I'm something excited. that we expected to see. I know there's a lot of things. Jamal Adams, we expected that baseball, to happen Baseball, Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams, baseball, and now Tibbs. Yeah, baseball, we didn't expect to see some drama this early, but I guess, you know, we'll take it as something to talk about. And now our favorite Knicks, our, our infamous Knicks, they finally have brought in the 31st head coach in their franchise history. <laughs> and like the that, fifth in the last 50 and that, five years. That's Tom Thibodeau. We had Alan Hahn on here. A couple episodes ago, he predicted that Thibodeau would be the next head coach based on various reports, and he is certainly well-informed, and he was certainly right. As the next opted for Thibodeau over uh, coaches like Atkinson, former head coach Mike Woodson. You know, I know a lot of Knicks fans wanted Van Gundy. They also wanted Mark Jackson. but oh, I never wanted Van Gundy. Who the hell said that? Knicks fans, I, you know, we're I not, wanted we're not that old. Woodson. Old head Knicks fans wanted Van Gundy to be the, the head coach. I always wanted Atkinson or Woodson. I know Allen was really intrigued by Woodson coming back because all he did was win New York, as Allen said. Yep. Yep. Well, Thibodeau becomes the 31st head coach. Do you know which franchise has had the most head coaches? I don't think you, you'll be able to guess it. It's not the Knicks? No, it's not. It's close, but it's not. Okay. It's, I don't know. It's, uh, maybe the Chicago Bulls. This would have been a good AQG question. Which which NBA franchise has had the most head coaches? I'm gonna go with Are the Cavaliers. With the no, I'm going Cavs? with the Cavaliers. Yeah, Cavs. Okay. I mean, you went with 
you know, kind of a newer, a newer-ish team. But no, it is the Detroit Pistons. Oh wow! Thirty-six, thirty-six head coaches. Apple Thibodeau becomes the next next head coach. We both wanted Atkinson. I know we were pushing for him hard. Thibodeau, Alan told us he had the connection with with Leon Rose and and World Wide West. Both the Knicks knew front office people to help run the team. It really, I guess, is not that much of a surprise that he was brought in. I mean, did they confirm who the assistants are? Is it going to be Miller and um, Woodson? I don't think they've confirmed Woodson yet, but it looks like Miller is going to be on the staff. I mean, he was pretty decent last year as the interim. I mean, Thibodeau, I don't, I don't know if this is the right job for him. I'm, I'm kind of scared. I mean, he, he is a professional, and he's going to get his players to work very hard on both sides of the ball. This team does need uh, sort of a grit and grind culture. They haven't been good defense in a while. He's got a lot of young players. We'll have to see how he develops them. That's going to be the biggest part. We both praised Atkinson for his development history in, in, with the Nets because he took nothing and he made them like a playoff team before Kyrie and KD pushed him out. So we'll just have to see. Derrick Rose, I mean, obviously we don't have anybody as good as, as prime Derrick Rose was or any of those Bulls players. So we'll have to see what he does with this team year one. I mean, if we're going to keep him, we got to keep him for the five years. We can't just fire him in two years and search for a new coach. We need to build a culture. And I hope Thibodeau brings some, brings a culture to New York that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Well, we say these buzzwords every time when it comes to the next Knicks head coach, we say hustle and culture. I feel like I've said that like a million times (laughs) whenever discussing the Knicks. I mean, it's really funny. And we always talk about how they can't just get rid of the coach right away because they, they need can't. to establish the culture, and that's all BS. I mean, we need to we need to just do something. It's, it can't be it's, it's establishing a, the culture clearly doesn't work when the culture and, doesn't even exist at all. Like well, it, well, the culture has always been losing. Well, well, the culture needs to be the winning mentality. The, the the culture was established from the Nets. They established a good culture, and and they got free agents out of it. So, same with the Clippers. That the Clippers had a very good coaching staff. Doc Rivers. Uh, a great premier coach and they did, they ended up winning. Well, not, they didn't win a championship for anything yet, but they have a very good team that can win a championship. So with the Knicks, um, I just hope Thibodeau does not play Taj Gibson or he will have a heart attack this season. So hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. We brought it up when we were discussing the potential. He's going to spam his friends. With Thibodeau that he just brings in players that he's familiar with. And I hope that doesn't happen. I, I mean, I guess he, he doesn't really get that much of a say, and hopefully, you know, Leon and and Scott Perry and these people that are still around to make the roster decisions. You know, they bring in players that they really think can make an impact, rather than players that Thibodeau is just familiar with and knows. So, yeah, I hope we don't get Derrick Rose back. I hope we don't see you know, Jimmy <laughs> Butler. I hope Taj is gone. I hope they don't re-sign him because that's probably most likely out of all those old old Bulls players. So, I hope that we can just. You know, work with the players what we got and develop them. And, you know, when we talk about developing culture, you know, that's not really what the Nets did. What the Nets did was they developed their players. And that, that okay. basically well, compounded into them making the playoffs. And that's really all they did. They made the playoffs. They didn't even win. And then no, they didn't. Kyra were like, ooh, you know, 40 wins. And then they went to go sign with them. <laughs> so that was, that was really the magic of... of player development for them and that's really why we wanted Atkinson but now we, we don't we obviously don't have him and he could be an okay. assistant you know that would be that'd actually be a, the dream probably to have 
assistant Kenny Atkinson. Oh, that, then, the, then the development get, goes through him like too. The, we get the infinity gauntlet of coaches. We get like the hustle and defense of Tibbs. We get the development of Atkinson. We can bring in Woodson, who we know and has. Or Miller's going to be on the staff. Miller's already been like, we can get everything we ever wanted if we can make that happen, but I don't think that's very realistic. We just need good players and our players to perform. I mean, a, a good positive at Thibodeau is um, Mitchell Robinson is going to be playing 30 minutes a night, which we have been wanting for two fucking years. And excuse the language. Um, Barrett, he's going to learn how to play both sides of the ball. I mean, he probably didn't play much defense last year and he's definitely going to improve if Agonson and Thibodeau are on the staff. I would hope so. I hope he become an all-star soon. And, you know, I, I just saw this actually, which is another positive from Tom Thibodeau. So the Knicks, whoever they draft, if they get stuck with the sixth pick or whatever, and if they end up getting a top three pick or if, if they just get LaMelo Ball somehow, some way, I think Thibodeau's the best coach for him, actually. I think LaMelo Ball is not going to mess around if Thibodeau's his coach. Le- Thibodeau is going to be on his ass. You say LaMelo doesn't play any defense. He doesn't. He makes stupid plays sometimes. Thibodeau's going to eliminate that. If they have LaMelo Ball and Thibodeau, I feel like that could be a, a good duo. If we had a laid-back coach, LaMelo Ball might just suck and, and not improve or not care as much. So. Thibodeau's going to make him work. He's going to make everyone work. And I, I think we do need that, actually. So if they get LaMelo Ball, Thibodeau, I think he's the right coach for him, actually. He's going to teach him how to play both sides. Yeah, that's actually a great point. And when you look at other players that he's had. Because LaMelo's been before, relaxed you know, his whole career. Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, who was whatever, the last pick of the first round, you know, he wasn't really a player that was considered a star by any means. And he just he worked really hard under Thibodeau as his head coach as his, for his rookie year and he obviously became you know an all-star level player so Thibodeau doesn't care who you are he doesn't care where he you doesn't. were drafted he just wants you to put the work in and you know bring a team together that will play together and play hard together and you know you're right if we whatever rookies we get you know they're gonna have to work hard to, to get minutes regardless of their star status so you know uh, having Thibodeau may just be the best thing for a young team yeah, well, going back to LaMelo, like, he's been relaxed his whole life. Like, obviously, he's a great player. We know he's on Ball's life and ESPN. He's on everywhere. And his dad's been coaching him half the time. And now he's going to get his first t- – I mean, he got coached by a professional coach in the Australian League. But he gets his first real taste of an NBA coach, and, and he's not going to put up with his bullshit, what he does. He's not going to let him do what he wants, and I think that's good. And LaMelo's going to learn a lot. His fame goes out the door. He'll always have fame because he's in New York, obviously, and we're, we're going to love him if he's on the team. But Thibodeau's not going to care. Just like you said, he doesn't care about if you're an all-star or, or the worst player on this team. He's going to make you put in the effort and try to ch- change your game for the better. So we're going to have to see LaMelo. Uh, I think New York is pr- the perfect situation for him. It's becoming a superstar player now. Yeah, Tom Thibodeau is not Tyron Lue. You know, he's not just going to be you know, the puppet of the, the of the best player or, you know, cave into the, what the players want. And we're in an era of, of player empowerment, as we've talked about before. You know, all-star players and superstar players want what they want, and they don't really care about, you know, what the front office thinks or what their coaches care about. Just like as we've seen with the Brooklyn Nets, you know, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, they pushed out Atkinson as the coach, and they won because, you know, they're the, they're the market. They're, they're what's bringing in tickets to Barclays and and selling the jerseys and they're obviously what's going to make your team win at the end of the day so they get the final say when it comes to the head coach and everything 
But with a team like the Knicks, who had who doesn't really have a presence like that, and who really needs to get back to the basics of basketball, they don't have the luxury. <laughs> they don't have the luxury of of thinking about star players right now, like we thought they did a couple of years ago. So Thibodeau definitely will not will not be a pushover. He won't settle for things that his players want. And hopefully that's what oh, we need. No, I don't know. He's it's gonna push them around to the rest of the league. He's, he's gonna right say now. he's gonna say to Lamelle and RJ, get off your ass. You're going to practice more. Get off Instagram. That's what he's gonna say to them. And I hope it works. I hope these players actually have fire in their eyes when Thibodeau gets there. We may not end with, up with Lamelo. I mean, I think that that's our that's our dream scenario. But we'll get into the prospects eventually. But. LaMelo Ball on the Knicks might be the actually the perfect fit. I mean, LeVar wanted to go there. Did LeVar see Thibodeau being hired? And he, does he think Thibodeau's going to be a coach for his son? He's a proven coach. I don't know. He might get scared off of that. But He could. But yeah, his we, son's we, not going to be controlling anything. You're in the NBA, and, and Thibodeau's the coach. So Yeah, when Allen was here, he, he brought up the message of, you know, the team's not really preaching hope anymore or selling it like they have been for a long time, which I, which it gives him hope, which is funny that he, he made that correlation, but yeah, it's definitely a different, a different move than what we probably would have done. Uh, if we ha- were in control of the Knicks, I, I definitely like to see what, what ends up happening. And just like Jamal, you know, only, only time is going to tell with if this move is going to work out for the Knicks or not. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, it's, I don't know how big it is compared to the Jamal thing, but both are pretty big moves, but yeah, Thibodeau, we're just going to have to see what he does. I mean, he's got to, I mean, we're not going to be good this year. We're not going to make the playoffs. And if we don't get blessed in the lottery, we're just going to have to have whatever rookie that comes in and they're going to have to work their butt off to become a good player in this league. And I hope, I hope Tibbs gives our team a sense of direction. I mean, we are not hoping for free agents anymore. That has out the door. So Alan's right. We are actually maybe starting to build something and develop our players in the upcoming years. We're not going to hope. We're going to try to work as hard as we can and get a winning team going. Yeah, I guess if you go back to thinking about everything in relation to hope, you know, I guess in a funny way, Thibodeau is our least hopeful coach because yeah. <laughs> with, Atkin- with Atkinson, like we hope he can develop our young players. That's with true. Woodson, we hope that he can be as good of be a coach as he was yeah. for those older teams. With Thibodeau, it's like, okay, you know, what we see is what you get. And we know his coaching style. We know the players that we have. I guess he's our least hopeful coach. And maybe maybe the front office was thinking the same thing. We know exactly where we're getting with Tibbs completely. Where we're getting a a coach who shows up to work every day, communicates with his players, forces them to put in the work, Always is making adjustments during games. He is a he's he's a good coach. I mean, it's there's a reason why the Bulls were one of the best defensive teams every year under them, and he played them a lot. But we have young legs, so it doesn't really matter if if uh, RJ Barrett's playing 40 minutes a game. It doesn't really matter that much. It, it's is the more you play, the better you get. That's just how it is in in the world. The more you do something, the better you get at it. So. Tips is professional. He's not going to mess around, and we're going to see we're going to see a shift. Hopefully, with the Knicks in the next coming upcoming years. Yeah, Knicks. We are we are out of hope. So please, no more hope please, for the Knicks. <laughs> please save us. I'm not hoping for the Seahawks. I know we're going to win something soon after the Jamal right, Adams right. trade. 
We are. The Jets have fun with your 29th pick and getting a, a freaking linebacker that just isn't good, like Darren Lee or something. Have fun getting a right tackle for Sam Donald that isn't that isn't good at all. All right. Well, you can have fun with your with your second round exit, just like last year. Oh yeah, yeah. Your Vikings. I don't know about them, but no more digs. Who are your receivers besides Thielen? Oh, we. I don't know. We took Jefferson in the first round. He looks to be a a, a good receiver. Oh, Diggs, yeah, we'll Diggs can have we'll fun. In, he's in the same weather as Minnesota, but he has to play outside now. He has to play with with Josh Allen, who's much worse than Kirk. So I don't know. Have fun. Oh no, there yeah. In Buffalo, yeah. Buddy. And have fun, Jamal Adams, in CenturyLink Field, winning football games. And we'll see Week 14, Le'Veon Bell. We'll see Week 14. All right, well, we're a little bit off track here, but that has been the end of episode 24 of the Bonafide Scrubs podcast. Please. Hit us with a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and follow us on social media at the Bonafide Scrubs on Instagram and at Bonafide Scrubs on Twitter. We get content almost every single day from different episodes of the show. And we will see you next time. Peace. Sports are back. <laughs>